okay? I'm glad you're here. Um, we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about the unfolding of truth, the revelation of truth in the world, um, and and how it how it manifests itself over time. And um, also, we're going to connect it, God willing, with um, with Hanukkah, because Hanukkah is coming up, and um, and it's actually very much related to this to this concept. Um, so, since uh, Hanukkah is around the corner, let me um, l- let me just begin with uh, with with that. Uh, this is a sort of a an, an unknown uh, fact. Well, not completely unknown, but it's not. It's certainly not popularly known, um, and uh, I think it's essential to understanding what Hanukkah is all about. So, so let's begin with that. Um, if you ask most people what's the miracle of Hanukkah, they'll tell you that that we um, found um, some oil, and it was only supposed to last one day, and yet it lasted eight days. And that's correct. That 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 took place. That was a, that was a very great miracle. But it, but here's the lesser known part of that, which is that when was the when was the holiday of Hanukkah declared a holiday? So most people would say, well, after the miracle occurred, everyone recognized its greatness and said, this is a miracle for all time. And that's actually not accurate. What happened was, the following year, and this is actually kind of far out, but the following year, the sages were together, and the 25th of Kislev, which is, was the, you know, the beginning of, of, of Hanukkah, rolled around, and they all felt something tremendous. They felt that this, 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 this miraculous energy, which had, um, which had exhibited itself the, the previous year in, in the form of the, the miracle of the oil, the miracle of the light, was now back. And they said, you know something, this shows us that that miracle was not just a miracle, an isolated event for us at that one historical period, but that this is something for all time and they instituted it as a holiday for all the generations. Now, there's something that you should just know, which is there was something called the, the uh, Megillah Tainus, which is, um, there was a scroll which recorded all of the miracles at the time of the base of Migdash. And there were tons and tons of miracles um, taking place uh, on a regular basis. But, and the Gomorrah, the Talmud, refers to this scroll all the time. Um, but, they weren't made into holidays. So, so, you'll see that there's actually an exact parallel with the prophecies that were done. See, people think that um, among the Jewish people there were a handful of prophets, and, you know, we have Ezekiel and Isaiah and, you know, names like this, very famous names. The truth is, is that there were thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or perhaps even millions of prophets. And they actually, uh, they actually spoke prophecy and, 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 and much of this was recorded, but the sages only took very, very select portions of these things, which they felt applied for all of Jewish history, all of world history, and those are the things that have been, in, you know, um, sort of like canonized in, in what we call the Torah, or the Tanakh. Um, so, so, in other words, what I'm trying to tell you is that just like there were many, many miracles taking place at the time of the base of Migdash, 
But the sages said those were miracles just for that period in time, not necessarily things that should be celebrated throughout all the generations. So Hanukkah basically made the jump. It made the jump from being a miracle that when they first experienced it, they thought it was one of many miracles which was for that time, instructive for that time only. But when they felt this divine energy return the next year, they understood that, no, this is one of those miracles that's for all time, that we have to celebrate forever. Okay. So, now this is... This uh, gets deeper, actually, because, because this is not just about Hanukkah. And we're not talking about the, just the status of Hanukkah right now. What we're really talking about is the ongoing flow or river. I'm using that word very deliberately. You'll see why in a moment. But the ongoing flow of revelation in this world and the unfolding of truth as we experience it in this world. Um, and you see it in a very, very compelling way, um, which is in the actual words of the blessing that we say over the Hanukkah candles. And the last three words that we say are, Lahadlik Ner Shel Hanukkah. That's a Nusach Ashkenaz. And you'll see, according to the Ari, you're supposed to knock out the word Shel. So I do, because it's so cool if you do. And I'll show, <laughs> I'll show you why in a moment, if you don't know it already. So it becomes, you say, Lahadlik Ner Hanukkah. Now, if you take the first three letters of the last three words, Lahadlik Ner Hanukkah, you get Lamed Nun Ches. And if you rearrange those letters, it spells the word Nachal, which means river. Now, the reason why that's significant is because what we're celebrating in Hanukkah is not just the miracle of the light, but the ongoing revelation, continuing with this, with this uh, idea of the revelation of truth in this world, but, but even more importantly, the, the, the unfolding of truth in this world and um, how we come to experience it. Now, now, I want to point your attention to something that... that We've looked at, but never, never in, this, in this context and never in this fullness. And to, personally, I find this so compelling because, you see, part of the, part of the God-given aspect, the divinity, if you will, of, of the Torah itself is, is all of these um, algorithms that are within the Torah um, in terms of the sequencing of letters and um, how they appear in its... Um, so you have to understand something, that when the Torah was given, it was given in one long word. It was one long name of Hashem. And that really every word in the Torah is a different name of Hashem. And in fact, one of the cool things is that, um, that the word in Hebrew, Hebrew is the divine tongue. I, I once heard Rabbi Shlomo say that, you know, you know our, our tradition is, is that God created, created the world out of the Hebrew letters. And that when the wind blows through the trees and you hear the rustling of the leaves, the sound it makes is in Hebrew. Okay? Because it's the language of creation. And what, what is contained within 
um, Hebrew roots, like different words that share the same roots, you see that they share the same DNA. And it's an example of what I'm talking about is this word mila. Now, mila means two, two things. It means word. That's the Hebrew word for word, W-O-R-D, word. But it also is the Hebrew word for cut, as in a bris mila, when you cut that extra piece of skin off. So mila means word, and it means cut. Now think about it. If the Torah was given in one long word, every time you cut it, what do you make? A word. So, so this is just uh, one of a zillion examples of, of the divinity of the Hebrew language. So, so, so you have to understand something, which is that the, there's a, this incredible unity to all of the letters of the Torah, and then how letters appear and reappear, when we cut them into words, we're seeing one small, one small aspect of what the Torah is actually communicating to us. But if you, you know, uh, look at how letters appear and reappear, you can access a completely different dimension of what the Torah is actually communicating. Now, I'll give you a very interesting example of this. You see, you have to understand something, which is that the, the, the first, I would call it, discrete chunk of the Torah. Okay, the Torah is divided up into parshas, different portions of the week. But the first organic chunk of the Torah is the first seven days of creation. Starting with Breshis Bara Elohim, with beginnings God created the heavens and the earth, Right? and ending with the conclusion of the creation that took place on Shabbos. And those seven days are a microcosm, are a miniature of the history of the world. Because each day stands for another thousand years. And so those first seven days are actually a compressed telling over of the first, thousand, first seven thousand years of history, culminating in the perfection of the world. Now, so you have to understand, the, the world goes up and up and up and up and up. Okay? It's going up and up and up. And more and more and more gets revealed. Right? Like I said, computers and airplanes and space travel. All these things over time, more and more and more gets revealed. But it's all contained what's, what's there. And in fact, we were saying the ultimate form of this is going to be the circumcision of the heart. Because there's a cap on our hearts, which is stopping us from grasping all of the magnificence and infinity that's around us. And that's also coming. And that's no different from the invention of the computer, believe me. It's just another aspect of the revelation of what's there. So it's going up and up and up till the seventh day. Now, just as a side note, this is one of the places where you see how the Torah has a very, very high regard for women, and, and even that women are spiritually greater than men. Because creation is going up over the course of the seven days. First, men are created, and then women are created. By virtue of the fact that they're created after man is an aspect of, their, of an increase in spirituality. But, 
as or more compelling is the fact that there's another creation after that, which is the Sabbath day. And everybody knows that the Messianic era is, recur- is referred to as the Great Sabbath. So that's, that's the end of history. Okay. So now, with this in mind, look at this amazing thing. And we're talking about algorithms and the reoccurrence of letters and things like that and how you can't just be focused just on the word itself because there's so much more going on in terms of what the Torah is communicating. So the very first three words of the Torah, Breshis bara Elohim, if you take the last three letters of the first three words, it's Tav, Aleph, Mem. Now those letters spell the word emes. Emes means truth. So in other words, the very beginning of the Torah begins with the word truth. But, fascinatingly, it's spelled out of order. Because emes is spelled aleph, mem, tav. And here you have emes, but it's spelled out of order. Which means to say, At the very outset of creation, God implants the truth, but it's not fully revealed yet. It's not accessible to everyone yet. But there it is. You can see with your own eyes. Now, look at this. That's the very first three words of the Torah. Now, the, you know, just to show you how what I'm saying is is our custom. On Simcha's Torah, when we begin the Torah again, we start the Torah, but we don't read the entire Parsha of Rashi's. What we do is we start with the first day of creation, and we read up to the seventh day of creation. And when we finish that, that's the end. So, there you see that it's considered the first real chunk of the Torah. Now, let's go to the last three words of that first chunk of the Torah, which is the end of the account of the seventh day of creation. Okay, so now, what did we say? Shabbos stands for Vizmanatikun, the rectified world, the full revelation of godliness in this world. And the last three words of the seventh day are Bara Elohim Lasos. Now let's look at the last three letters of those words. Bara Aleph Elohim Mem, Lasos, Tuf. It spells Emes, truth, but in the proper order. In the proper order. So this is awesome. What this is telling us is that over time, over time, truth becomes openly and fully revealed for all to see. Now, I want to show you an account of this. This same idea in a completely different way. And this is something that I was noticing, that this is, you see, in the Torah, you have um, very few conversations recorded. Very little dialogue. Mostly narrative. Um, Every once in a while you have a line or two of dialogue. But it's rare that you have a complete conversation that takes place that's recorded. That's unusual. One of the places is Yehuda and Tamar. Now, for those of you not familiar with the story, it's, it's a very fascinating story. Because basically, what happens is, is that Yehuda and Tamar are together in intimacy. 
And out of that union comes Mashiach, the Redeemer, or the Messianic line. Okay? So this is a very, very eventful um, coming together of two people. So why is that newsworthy? It's newsworthy because Tamar at that point was disguised as a prostitute. And Yehuda was, you know, this, this, this great man who for some reason is drawn to her and hires her. And you'll see there's a whole discussion in terms of what wage she's asking for. And, you know, I was thinking about it. And, you know, this is, this is going to sound very obvious after I tell you. But it blew my mind because, okay, there's, there are more details. And if you read it, you'll see it's... it's why did, why did Tamar do this? It seems very strange behavior for Tamar, but actually she was very justified and, and, and basically, just in a nutshell, what happened... Actually, this can open up a whole other discussion, but that's a good thing, because I want to have this, which is that... Which is that um, you see, Yehuda has a son. His name is Er. Okay? Ayan Resh. Okay? And Er was like... He was off. Okay, he was off. It's funny, like the idea of error, to, to err, to make a mistake. Maybe this is the root of it, very, very possibly. Um, no, 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 it's tomorrow. You'll, it's tomorrow, it's tomorrow, it's tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, you'll see, you'll see. So, so that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's another story, which is very different from this one. So, um, so Yehuda has err. And you know, it's funny, like, this year I'm looking at this word air. Air, like, I'm looking, wow, what is air, air? And I realize, wow, because air, you're going to see in a, in a moment, makes, a, makes a, a, a mistake, you know. I realize it's the letters Ra. Ayan, Resh, if you flip them around, it's Resh Ayan, which means bad. Right? And then I read on, and the Pesach itself, the Torah itself, refers to him as Ra. So I was like, wow, you know, there you go. Okay, tomorrow is very beautiful. Now listen to this, this is like really way out, but this is old, you know, this is not, like, this is not modern stuff I'm telling you right now, this is thousands of years old, okay? Er did not want to impregnate his wife. He was with his wife, but he did not want to impregnate her. Why? Because he felt her beauty would fade. However, we're to understand that. That after the fact, somehow she's not going to be this woman that I'm drawn to right now. And so he made sure that she didn't become pregnant. Okay. So to me... And God strikes him down. You know, this, this is like, you know, you don't, you don't see a lot of, and God struck him down in the Torah, even though people popularly think it's all over the Torah. But you, you got it right here. God just went, no, <laughs> sorry, no. Um, and to me, on a more homiletical level, it actually seemed to me that, you know something, we get attached to certain concepts and we call them beautiful. And sometimes we ourselves are afraid to evolve past certain notions that we become attached to. We want to preserve them as they are. And yet the reality is, is that, you know, they, 
they change. And then that new thing has a beauty to it. But we, if we try to freeze something in time, we will, we will be the, the, the losers. Um, so, so now, there's another son, Onan. And actually, there is actually, there's very much an English word for Onan. Onanism, which is self-gratification. And Yehuda instructs Onan to, to marry uh, Tamar and to have a child that will perpetuate the name of his brother, Er. And Onan is like, mm, yeah, I don't know. So he's, he, he feels as though, you know something, my children really should be my children. This whole idea that I'm going to have children and they're my dead brother's children, and somehow that brings him back, uh, I don't know. And God strikes him down, <laughs> another instance of that. So there's like, so, so now Yehuda has a third son. And Yehuda's like, you know, I don't think I'm marrying him to you so quickly. I've already lost two sons with you. I don't think I'm giving you my third son. So, so meanwhile, Tamar is kind of in a really tight spot. Because Tamar is like this, she's the super, she's the mother of Mashiach. She's the mother of Mashiach. She's a super holy woman. And she's like stuck. Like she's not having any babies. How is she going to give birth to Mashiach if she can't have a baby? So, so, and you know, it's funny because we have with, with Rachel and with Sarah and with, and with Leah, all of them had trouble becoming pregnant. That's not her issue. She doesn't have anyone to become pregnant with. You know? But the, you know, the, the biological functioning is working great. You know? It's, where's the man? You know? So, so, anyway, Yehuda kind of puts her in cold storage. Doesn't give her the next son, who's on the young side anyway, but just, he, that's just kind of not part of his plan. Alright, so fine. So now, we're back to where we began. Yehuda is now journeying on his way to go to the shearing of sheep. Now, that was like a big holiday back then, you know, because that was like a, a form of harvesting, like you harvest crops, you know, you know the, 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 the sheep get woolly, and you shave them off, and then that's like, that's, a, that's an asset. That's, that's, that's a big deal. So his friend was, was doing that, and he was going to travel to the shearing of the sheep. Now, now, what is going to happen on this journey? As Mashiach is going to come into the world. And so, it's interesting that he's going to the shearing of sheep. Because what happens when you shear sheep? You reveal that which is hidden. Right? So, you know, just on another level, it's very instructive. And of course, Paul Israel are, con- are compared to sheep. And so, it's, it's, it's just very striking. Um, okay. So now everything's been set up. Yehuda's on the, on the road. What does Tamar do? Tamar, in an act of, I guess, holy desperation, is like, you know, what's going to be with me? So she disguises herself, sits at the road, presents herself as a woman for hire, 
And now Yehuda all of a sudden sees her. And he comes to her. And they have this discussion. And what I was going to say about this discussion is that she knows who Yehuda is. Right? She's just not doing this for anyone. She has done this in order to be with Yehuda, who's her appropriate match at this point. But Yehuda doesn't know, Yehuda doesn't know who she is. So, so, um, so they have a conversation. What will you give me if you consort with me? That's what she says. This, if you want to look this up, this is... Uh, Chapter 38, uh, verse, verse 16. And she said, What will you give me if you consort with me? Right? Um, now, now, we're talking about the unfolding of truth, the revelation of truth in the world. Now, let's just pause but on a, on a level of prophecy, basically. But we have something called unintended prophecy in the Torah, where sometimes people say things that they don't realize how deep it is that they're actually saying. Um, so, when God revealed himself and gave us the Torah at Mount Sinai and spoke to us, he used the word Anochi. Anochi was the first word, is the first word of the Ten Commandments. Anochi means I am. And the sages derive from this word, Anochi, I am, the mitzvah to believe in God. And so, there are even those who say that that's all that God said, by the way, and non Sinai, Anochi. There's an opinion like that. So, Anochi is a very, very big word. And, uh, and what does it represent? It represents the revelation of truth in this world. Now, what did we say? The union between Yehuda and Tamar was going to bring, brings Mashiach into this world. Mashiach is the one who broadcasts, who makes known the Anochi, the I Am of God in this world. So you see, the, the concept between Anochi, the revelation of the the existence of God and Mashiach are like hand in glove. Alright? So now let's return to the words of the Torah. And she says, what will you give me if you consort with me? And now in the next Pasuk, number 17, it says, Vayomer, he said, Anochi. I will give you Anochi. In other words, I am going to give you the revelation of God's oneness in this world. That's what's going to come from our union, Mashiach. Right? So that's, that's, that's intense. By the way, the rest of that thought is, I will send you a kid of the goats from the flock. <laughs> You know, if you talk about how many levels the Torah is operating on simultaneously, here he's saying the most exalted way out thing in the entire word, in the world, Anochi, right? 
And at the same time, he's talking about giving her a goat. Right? Isn't that incredible? Incredible? I mean, how many levels of existence we're simultaneously operating on? It's awesome. It's awesome. You know, one thing that I heard Rabbi Green say that really has stayed with me is that, you know, if you hear the way people describe uh, great rabbis or great holy men, a lot of times, you know, how, really, how do they get their holy men credentials to begin with? Usually by mastering piety and mastering, you know, large tracts of, you know, divine information, right? Like Shas, like they know the whole Talmud, or they know, you know, they know incredible things, and, and they, they pray and they get their prayers answered and things like this. But a lot of times, if you hear people talk about people like that, they'll say, oh, he's so nice. <laughs> he always smiles. He helped me, like, with that thing. <laughs> In other words, here, I got to just, just tell you something. This world is a really interesting place. And it's a very temporary place. And the next world, everything's sort of like, um, like they talk about the cream rising to the top. Everything finds its natural level in the next world. The next world is called the Olam HaEmes, the world of truth. And you see, one goes spiritually. You see, they're, they're stratas of heaven, if you will. All of heaven is great. Like, as soon as you get, like, one toe in heaven, you're in fantastic shape, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's better than all of the pleasure of this, of this world combined. That's, that's what is taught. All of the pleasures of this world combined, one moment of heaven is better than all of that. So just to be there is great. Nonetheless, nonetheless, there are levels of it. There are higher and higher levels of heaven where it's just increased ecstasy, essentially. Right? Just... Ongoing, ah, amazing, right? Okay, and that is in direct proportion to one's spiritual attainment in this world. So there's a direct correlation to the extent that you achieve in this world. That's that's the place you get in the next world. Okay. So, so why am I telling this? Because what's so cool about this world is, you see, in the next world, you don't get to interact with those people. So much. Because you're, we're in our place, and they're in their place. But in this world, we can interact completely. You see, the, way, the, the thing that always comes to mind as an example of this, I talk about it, but it's, to me it's such a compelling example. You have... Regular geometry and what they call geometry against a curved space or non-Euclidean geometry. And in regular geometry, parallel lines never intersect. You know, if you think of like Broadway and Central Park West, they don't intersect, right? I was going to say Broadway and Amsterdam Avenue, but they, they intersect at like 69th Street, so... That wouldn't be a great example. 
You know, if you've got Pico and Olympic, they don't intersect. Those are parallel lines. That's like the world, that's like the world of truth. In the next world, there's spiritual levels, and that's what it is. They're just spiritual stratus, right? In this world, you have like non-Euclidean geometry, which is parallel lines in non-Euclidean geometry actually intersect. Which is a wild thought. Which means that if you've got someone like, like a holy man, like an incredible holy man, right? He's standing there, you're standing here. Really, you're inhabiting different worlds. But in this dimension, you completely intersect. You can talk to him and he can talk to you. Right? That's the opportunity of this world. And, and just to extend the thought, I was thinking about this, like what, what this means practically. See, if you have a relationship with someone holy, I think even in the next world, because you have a relationship with them that's been forged in this world, you can access it in the next world. Which means that all of the books, all the holy books on our shelves are passports to different dimensions. Right? You see, if I take a book out, if I take the Torah out, and I read the Torah, I have a relationship with God, obviously, but I also have a relationship with Moses. Which means in the next world, I don't know who's in a higher place in the next world than Moses, for goodness sakes. Right? So if I forge a relationship with him by reading this book here, in the next world, I have a passport to where he is. You with me? The Baal Shem Tov. If I open up a book of the Torahs of the Baal Shem Tov, or the Alter Rebbe, or the Or Chachayim, or Rabbeinu Bachaya, right? If I read those books now, I have a passport in the next world to where they are. Now, I don't know how long I get to hang out there. <laughs> Maybe it's just like a window. Maybe in my... I'm just speculating right now. Maybe, like, I've got, like, a window in my realm, but that window opens up into their realm, you know? Like, who knows, like, how it's landscaped in, in heaven, you know? Or hardscaped. Um, but, uh... But anyway. So... So, let me just finish with this, with this uh, one last thought. Because we're talking about the revelation and the unfolding of truth in this world and how that happens. And, um, you know, one of the things that we're, we're asked after 120 is, did we await the coming of Mashiach? Did we, did we yearn for the perfection of the world? Right? And a lot of us, it's like, the answer is yes, and then I got burnt out, <laughs> or then I crashed, you know. But, you know, there was definitely a period in there where I was into it, you know, Um, you know, which is an honest answer. But because I think people, you know, we have to, we need a class in yearning management. (laughs) Yearninomics. To use a word I am forbidden ever to use again. (laughs) Horrible sound of it. Um, But, um... We, we, we need to know how to manage this emotion because otherwise it can just kind of, it, it's, it can burn us out essentially. So, 
So, in that spirit, without sort of like getting too much into it, let me just give one thought that, that kind of came to me this week, which is um, uh, something about probability and statistics, which is, if you take a coin and you flip a coin, what are the odds that it's going to land on heads? 50%, right? All right. So now, if you flip a coin and it lands on heads 99 times in a row, what are the odds that the next time I flip the coin, it's going to land on heads? 50%, one and two. That's right. Because it's the same coin. It's 50-50, whether it lands on heads. Okay, it's true. It's, it's landed on heads 99 times in a row. But this time, this is a new flip. This time, it's still 50-50, Right? It's true, Mashiach hasn't come yet. Mashiach has not arrived yet. But he's going to come. So what are the odds that he's going to come today? Well, you say, well, he hasn't come all these other 99 times. So he's not coming today. But what are the odds? It's 50-50. <laughs> he absolutely can come today. It's 50-50. What does all that have to do with today? It doesn't have anything to do with today. The perfection of the world is coming. The perfection of the world is coming. Don't be thrown. Don't be thrown by hard times. You know, I, I want to tell you something. My mother, a lot of people, they eat turkey once a year. Right? I ate turkey 12 months out of the year. Because <laughs> my mother, she loved to make turkey. And I think because you could make a turkey and then you eat it all week. And, you know, you'd have turkey sandwiches, turkey casserole. She used to make something called kitchen kachapuchi, <laughs> which is, there's, that's not, that's not, there's no, that's just a made-up series of words, but that's what we called it. So, a big memory of mine is walking into the kitchen, and there'd be a turkey carcass sitting on the dishwasher, <laughs> you know, like, there it was to be carved. And then you had the carcass. Right? So, so, when I first got married to my wife, I was, always would buy her, like, various things. And, you know, if I'd be in bookstores, so I'd go to the cookbook section. And if there was some sort of exotic kind of kosher cookbook, I'd buy her, like, you know, a kosher cookbook. And um, one time, I bought her this kosher Cajun cooking cookbook, right? And, and I was looking through it. And they had this turkey gumbo soup, right? And the first ingredient was a turkey carcass. And I was like, this is my recipe. <laughs> I've got to make this soup, right? But I don't, I don't come across turkey carcasses that often. So, so, anyway, this Thanksgiving I was with my sister and she just sitting right there was a turkey carcass. And I was like, what are you doing with that? <laughs> And, you know, she didn't have any plans for her turkey carcass, as most people don't. <laughs> and so, I was like, can I have that? And she's like, yeah. So, the next day, Friday, I, I you know, about maybe, maybe once every few years I actually do this, filled up a pot, put in the turkey carcass, right, and just started throwing in vegetables, all right? Well, a couple of years ago I did this. And um, I put in, like, maybe 20 different ingredients, right? Carrots, 
onion, basil, curry, Tabasco sauce, Worcestershire sauce, cooking sherry, black pepper, salt, corn, celery, gar- well, gar- shallots. Didn't have any garlic, but I had shallots, which is, you know, garlic's cousin. <laughs> You know, I mean, and there, there are more ingredients that I'm not naming. Corn niblets, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I know, there is something sort of vaguely wrong about the word niblet, isn't it? Um, so, <laughs> so, anyway, and I sit down to taste the soup, and it doesn't taste right. <laughs> And I'm thinking, you know, and I'm putting in more seasonings, you know. Maybe it needs, because I love black pepper. I'm grinding more and more black pepper in there. I'm like, there's this weird flavor in this soup. You know, my turkey soup, right? And I'm, I'm tasting it. I'm adding more flavors, and it's still there. I'm trying to figure out what is this flavor. And then I realized, it's turkey. <laughs> the bad flavor in my turkey soup is the turkey. Right? And, and I thought, wow, you know, that's, that's a lot like life, you know? Like a lot of times people like, they're like, there's something weird going on. There's something weird. That's, that's the life part of life. <laughs> life has its challenges. That's the turkey flavor in the turkey soup. You know, you can't get rid of that. So, actually, there was too much turkey on that carcass. That was the problem. Then anyway, that's, hindsight is twenty twenty. you know? Yeah. You were getting into yeah. Nachal, yeah. spiritual flow yeah. of Hanukkah. Yeah. I don't think you finished that point. All right, I'll, 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 I'll end on that. I'll end on that. But, 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 so, so life, life requires some negotiating. And, and like, we always have to return back to because all of society wants to tell us the opposite of this, which is that life is one long party and that, you know, it's like the, the, the Miller Beer philosophy of life, which is you can have it all, right? It can be great tasting and less filling, <laughs> you know? Like, there's no, there's no contradictions. There's nothing stopping you from experiencing the maximum pleasures of life at every moment. And that's, it's just so not true. It's just so not true. This is, this is a work session. It's a work session this lifetime. And it's filled with pleasures and wonderful things. But it's a work session. And we're done such a disservice and such a brainwashing by all of the companies that are trying to sell us their products, which is trying to tell us at all times, at every moment, life is a pleasure and that there's no discomfort and there's no... There, there's, there's nothing uncomfortable about life. And if you are experiencing discomfort, it's because, foolish mortal, you haven't bought our product yet. <laughs> Please, buy our product. Don't be the only person out there who's suffering for a single moment of the day. Don't be that per- pathetic sop. Please, don't. Please. So, so, it's sending us this weird, distorted message. And we have to understand that, you know, this, there is some work involved. Okay, so, so again, just to, just to go back to 
your point, um, Nacho. You see, you see, the last three words, the first letter of the last three words, the Ari points out, of the blessing over the Hanukkah candles is Nacho. Spells the word Nacho. Lahadlik Ner Hanukkah. So you have to rearrange them, but it's Nun Ches Lamed, which means river, which means flow. And in this context, it means divine flow. So we started off by saying that, um, that, 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 that it's not very well known, but that the holiday of Hanukkah was actually instituted a year after the miracle occurred. The miracle occurred, and it was awesome, but there were a lot of miracles that occurred back then. And they're recorded in, in a book called the um, uh, Megillah Tinus, okay, which records all the miracles of this year, but only certain ones were preserved and made into holidays for all times. When Hanukkah first occurred, it was like one of those miracles that was like awesome, but they thought that this was one of many miracles that was going on. When the next year all the sages felt this tremendous outpouring of light, they realized that the gate that had opened up the previous year was something for all the generations. So actually, Hanukkah was instituted the next year, the year after the miracle occurred, to be a holiday for all times. Now, you have to understand something. You know, there's an expression, I'll leave the porch lights on. Which is, if someone's going out, they say, I'll leave the lights on so that, you know, you know, you can get back home. You know where your home is. We're waiting for you. And everything like that. This is the miracle of Hanukkah. Basically, historically, it's the last, it's the last miracle. You know? It's like, this is, this is the end. Historically, it was the last holiday that was instituted. And, um, God left the lights on for us for the entire exile. That's the point. But he also communicated something to us very, very, very deep. Which is that, it's true there's no Beis HaMikdash. There's no Holy Temple in Jerusalem right now. That's true. It's true that there are all these other religions popping up which claim to be the truth. Right? It's true that life is very confusing and we're still in a place where the letters of Breshis, which spell Emes, the last three letters of Breshis Bar Elohim, which spell Emes, are still out of order. So that truth hasn't been completely revealed, even though it's been implanted in this world. But, 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 Yidin, God is saying, Yidin, I'm still communicating with you. I'm still communicating with you. That's the idea of this flood, of this divine flood. It's still going on. I'm still talking to you. All of life. All of life is a conversation between God and us. That hasn't stopped. That's the message of Hanukkah. On the deepest level. On the deepest level. And if you want to put yourself in that flow, the best way to flow is to be in harmony with the universe. 
And that's the Torah and the mitzvahs. The Torah and the mitzvahs put us in harmony with the universe around us. And when you're in harmony, you're able to access that divine flow. And so Hashem should bless us that we should really, we should really be blessed to see it, to feel it, and to experience it.